So hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Architecture in the Den with me your host Lisa Rains. Um, I'm an architect and a franchisor um, up in Manchester in England. So um, I do um, basically if you were wanting to set up a practice you could come under the Pride Road banner um, and uh, sort of buy a, a franchise off Pride Road and um, and then go off and practice. I don't think that's something you'll be looking at doing in the short term, John Warburton. Uh, absolutely not. I am weeks away from retirement. Um, I, I set the date last week um, the, uh, and it's going to be the bank holiday um, in oh. August. Fantastic. So tonight um, I'm welcoming John Warburton to the stage and um, John is an incredibly experienced architect. Uh, do you want to just tell us a bit um, briefly about your history and I might um, pick you up on a, a few things. Sure, yeah. I, well, I've, um, I qualified um, in 1980, January 1980 I think it was and I've I've been in architectural practice in one form or another ever since. Um, where, did you, where did you go to uni? I went to, to uni at Leeds. Um, yeah. I, did, I did the whole thing in Leeds, the um, part one and um, part two of the course were both there. Um, I have to say it wasn't my first choice, but it was probably the best choice um, yeah. in was the was end. Was that the poly? Um, it was the poly when I first started, yes. Um, although it functioned as a completely separate faculty almost they're in a separate building and and just called themselves the school of architecture there was never any mention of the the poly at all in the the titles yeah i i went to leeds poly to start off with right uh, much, <laughs> there you much, go. much later than i did um well I, when i i started at leeds poly and when i left it was leeds metropolitan university <laughs> <laughs> yeah well the um the school of architecture when i first started was in um the old Victorian building that's opposite the Morrison's car park. It's now a Weatherspoons, <laughs> and um, the, our first year studio was in where the main bar is. So all of the other students could walk around the balconies and throw stuff down at us. It was, <laughs> so, uh, why, yeah. why did you um, end up going to Leeds? Um, they were one of my choices, and um, I got accepted a place unconditionally at Leeds. Um, and I think I, you missed was I think. Oh, no, so you wish the Welsh one in, in, in Cardiff was probably the one that I'd set my sights on, but the, I didn't quite meet the um, A-level criteria. I, I didn't, didn't nudge over the right um, pass mark. So uh, um, I went into clearing and clearing offered me a place at Harriet Watt, I think, but I, I elected to go with Leeds. And um, so what A-levels did you do? Um, back in those days, it was much simpler, wasn't it? I, I did uh, maths and I did English and I did art. Right. Um, just the three. And I was one of half a dozen students that were the first ever A-level students at the school. Ah, so, so what, what was there beforehand? Were they like BTECs or...? Um, they just didn't have um, upper sixth form oh. students. They, they never got students to that level. Right. Um, so they were sort of um, getting more and more ambitious and they squeezed just six of us through. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, was, it was good. So your interest in art obviously started um, sort of relatively early on. Do you remember 
how old you were when you first got into it? Um, I can't remember when I first got into it, but I can remember always being interested. And it, it's, it's what led me to architecture in the end. Um, when I was still at junior school, I think um, in the final year there, so I probably just have been 11, when everybody was saying, oh, I want to be an engine driver or a crane driver or a truck driver when I, when I, when I leave school. Um, I, um, I, I did a, a painting of a shop front I can, I can see it vivid, vividly in my mind's eye, but I, I, obviously I don't still have it. And someone said that's, um, that's extremely um, precise draftsmanship in that drawing. He should be a draftsman. And um, my, my dad actually worked with someone who was a draftsman. So he said, you, we can have a chat with this guy. And he said, no, you don't want to be a draftsman. You want to be an architect. You'll get paid a lot more money, <laughs> um, which I, was probably the worst piece of advice I've ever had. I've ever had um, and that was it my mind was made up at 11 and I never varied from it it was always my uh, dream and intention to become an architect. I think that it seems like you have to be quite kind of determined to be an architect. I, I think so if you don't it's such a long course and such a difficult course you get worn down. Um, okay. Yeah. Sorry, just bear with me one second. I'm going to pause the recording. I've had a text message from a child upstairs. Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> it's 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 all part of um, the the joys of um, of Zoom, isn't it? It's, it uh... is. I've got a text message from my daughter who's literally upstairs in the room above, saying, "Accident." So I went and ran up. What is it? What is it? She said, no, I called you by accident. <laughs> like, oh, phew. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Oh, dear. Yeah, so we were talking about being determined when you're sort of people on the path of being an architect is you have to kind of be quite dogged and go, right, that's where I'm going. That's what I want to do. Yeah, people were trying to deter me at every step. Um, the um, the careers people arranged for me to go to visit um, the School of Interior Design at uh, Batley, um, and they offered me a place on the spot, which um, was unusual. They normally did an entrance exam of some kind, um, but I didn't want to do that. And um, they eventually, after some delay, got me in to see an architect. And he said, you don't want to be an architect. <laughs> so uh, so he didn't deter me either. And um, yeah, I, I'm now that person who says to people, you don't want to be an architect. Um, so, yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I ignored it. But the, the careers teachers washed their hands of me because they, they were recommending entirely different careers um, yeah. they were either wanting me to be a teacher or a marketing consultant <laughs> um, and I looked at, into what a uh, marketing consultant was and I said well basically these are people who are trained to lie for a living and <laughs> about how good products are so um, yeah I, I didn't follow that route so at what point did you, because there's, there's, I always think that architecture is like learning to drive. You kind of don't know what it is until you've qualified and, and you're on your way. And then you can see whether you enjoy it or not. <laughs> so yeah. certainly at university, I had no idea what I was going to let myself in for when I started. It was, you know, I think it was like the second year, the third year, and I thought, ah, right, OK, I kind of get it. Is this what I want to do? And then I got got the passion for it. 
Yeah, the, the, the part threes that come through the practice, um, the fact the various practices that I've I've worked with, some as mentor, they all have the same thing that they say, we are not prepared for this. They, they, they don't teach us about this. They don't teach us about that. And um, they, they're right. They, even with seven years of, of training, um, they, they don't go anywhere near um, through the, the full complement of skills that you need to, um, to, to be a success in this game. Yeah. Do you, do you remember when the point where you thought, I'm an architect and I'm enjoying this? <laughs> um, enjoying it. I suppose that's a bit of an exaggeration. I, I, <laughs> I, I may have enjoyed the first five years. And um, I think after that, it was downhill in so many ways. But um, yeah, I, I kind of... Um, well, I took to it like a duck to water, I guess. The, the, I was running jobs even as a student um, in my uh, part three um, and um, not being phased by any of it. I was, I was quite lucky, I guess, in that respect. And there's a lot of stuff in those days that we um, didn't have to deal with that are commonplace now. The, um, a lot of the stuff such as sustainability and um, H and health and safety and CDM regs and all that kind of stuff just weren't um, weren't on the, the cards. And even the building regs was just a single A5 volume that was about a quarter of an inch thick. So it, we didn't even have that many regulations to worry about. Um, and contractors were generally people you got along with. Mm. Um, they used to joke about the stuff we did, but um, you could say to a contractor, I'd like to achieve this. And the contractor would say, yeah, I know how to do that. Just go away and do it. And nine times out of 10, they did a good job. These days, they want to know where to put every little nail and screw. Mm. Um, and if you don't tell them, they're, um, uh, they're up in arms that you're not doing your job and uh, you've got to take responsibility for it. It's, uh, it's, it's getting quite ridiculous, the level of information that uh, they're demanding as a matter of course. Mm. We used to do whole projects on two or three drawing sheets. Mm. And, and now two or 300 is a small number. <laughs> it's it's uh, it, you know it's gone mad as the world completely mad do you remember there was the returning point where you thought um, this isn't all it was cracked up to be in that case oh yeah i remember that quite well um i, I did a spell in the middle east in the early 80s and i came back to work for a, a very large practice in leeds um they no longer exist it's john brunton partnership of, of some of the older viewers may have heard of and um, it, everything was going fine and it changed while I was there the, the whole sort of what an architect was and did um, started to change around there so people like project managers suddenly started to appear mm -hmm. and there was talk of this um, strange new thing called design build that was um, being touted as a the next big thing and then contractors started to get litigious and it became more and more um, a daily routine of, of writing responses to um, queries and, um, and claims mm. just to defend your own position. And you weren't actually producing architecture anymore. You weren't producing drawings um, or, or information. You were just um, doing reams and reams of paperwork. Mm. And um, when the recession hit in the early 90s, and I'd already been thinking about setting up for myself, I thought it's time to get out so I, I just became freelance mm. and then six months later the session got worse and the the, the practice went under that, that I'd been working with um, and I did um, 
pretty well for myself for about 12, 12 years or so. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so um, I, I kept doing that until um, the, the, there was a recession. Um, I can't remember the dates, but it would have been probably the early 2000s, um, where um, all of my customers um, either went under or massively downsized, and I just lost um, all of my work um, overnight. What sort of work were you doing at that point? Um, it was a range of stuff. It was all for um, either architectural practices or um, departments responsible for architecture. So I was working probably about half my workload was for Heathrow Airport, mm. um, working in their technical centre, um, which went through various name changes. Um, and in fact, when the recession hit, I lost that work because they shut the whole department down um, literally overnight. Um, and then I was working for smaller practices, just um, um, providing extra um, hands and experience to um, a, a pretty young team of um, technicians and the like who uh, just needed some steering into the right direction to avoid making major um, fouls with um, contract administration and the like. Mm -hmm. And I was an expert in CAD at that time anyway. I'd, um, um, I'd been drawn into CAD because I developed um, an interest in uh, computing right in the early days of, it was, it was before any officers had, had computers of any kind because the computers in those days filled rooms were, were air conditioned and had lots of white coated people um, who guarded them um, as their own little empire um, and then these small cheap desktop things came out and I bought kits and built my own computers and I went on um, programming courses and um, that came to the attention of the boss and they said well we've heard about this thing called CAD and we think that we might need it and you're the only person we know who's got any interest in computers can you take a look at it and uh, I did and never looked back and uh, I, I became sort of a CAD consultant and CAD manager and then BIM consultant and BIM manager um, in quick succession so mm. um, I'm BIM lead in my current role although um, that title goes to someone else I think probably this week <laughs> so because my replacement is, um, is, is is getting his contract in place mm -hmm. um but yeah it's been fun in in parts but it's um, it's also been a trial in parts shall we say yeah um, and I think my 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 highlight was still back in the 80s when I was in the Middle East and it was a project that was hand-drawn it wasn't done in CAD um, and um, um, it was the biggest project I'd ever worked on and um, it, with hindsight the, um, the most rewarding um, in terms. Um, it was a sports complex in um, Oman um, and it was for the equivalent of the Olympic Games but just for the Middle Eastern countries. Um, so it was a stadium and then a sports centre and athletes village and training facilities and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, what took you out there in the first place? Um, the firm where I was working, and I, I did relatively recently only um, been a bit of the RIBA, um, knew that I was probably wanting better things and he knew I wouldn't get anywhere in the firm that I was working at because the, the boss wasn't actually letting the reins go. So he, he, he might make people associates, but he was never going to give them a share in, in the practice. And a friend of his called him and said, he's putting a team together as an emergency and had he any 
ideas for who to go and he asked me if I'd be interested so I thought well what the hell and I I went for it and, and got the job um, and it was <laughs> it was typical of architecture everything's a crisis um, the, the job had just started on site so we hadn't been involved in the design but the whole design team had resigned um, the oh, it, it had been a competition and the um, architect was the lead in the competition so they'd taken everyone else in with them and they'd fallen out with the client's um, uh, advisors, the equivalent of the project managers, as we call them now. And um, rather than um, give in to the, these advisors, they just walked off the job. And uh, so they said, right, well, we need a new team. Um, they gave it to the second placed competition winner because it had been an architectural competition, but they were Lebanese. And they insisted that only UK qualified personnel be employed on it mm. so with the pull up I think it was eight of us in to run the job and mm. um, I, I was the site architect on that project for two years and it was um, yeah it was a uh, it was um, a baptism of fire I think <laughs> but um, I, I, I soon learned that you could boss around big contractors just the same you could um, the little guy doing the extension to your house Mm -hmm. they were no different in that respect and um so long as you held your ground and knew what you were talking about they generally were, were very good about it mm. um so if you had to give if someone was thinking about taking a role overseas now if, if say say we had some young architects listening who were thinking about um sort of traveling abroad what what advice would you give um i, I think these days, I would say, be, go for it, but be a little bit more careful. It, it's not the same market it was in the 80s. Um, it was um, a hardship posting in those days. And these days, it's seen as a paradise posting. Mm. And there's a lot of competition from countries where the um, typical wages are considerably lower. Mm. So uh, you'll find that a lot of um, the, the money isn't there anymore. You, you'd be doing it for experience rather than, than to... Uh, make any kind of mad profits mm. um, in those days we were given everything we were given accommodation car all the rest of it these days you're given an allowance as part of your salary and you have to find your own car and accommodation as i understand it mm. in mm. most of those uh, countries so yeah go for it um, but make sure the firm that you're working with follows some kind of code um, even if it's not the ARB or RRBA codes, they need to have a code. Otherwise, it, you are in for a, an interesting time, shall we say. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, I mean, would you say stick to something that's got an RIBA or an ARB code? Because at least you've got some familiarity there. Um, I would do, yes. Um, as it happened, I after the first couple of years working for the Lebanese company, I did switch to WS Atkins. Mm. Um, so obviously we were working to UK standards, mm. um, but they were finding it increasingly difficult because the um, a lot of the stuff was being designed and built to um, um, Indian standards, for example, which oh. weren't quite as stringent as the uh, the UK standards, especially on things like structural design mm -hmm. and yeah. such like. So um, structures that were being built that our structural engineer wouldn't touch. Mm -hmm. um, so it was. It was getting difficult when when I came back, um, and it's a lot more difficult now. I think. Mm. So, what what brought you back to the UK after that? 
Um, it, it was partly end of contract, um, partly another recession. Mm. Uh, the, the, the country had no debt. They, were, they actually had a positive balance, so they didn't actually owe anything to anybody. But when the recession happened, they had this really interesting strategy. They said everything stops. So all government contracts just ceased, literally, at the point they were at. Um, uh, one of our clients was the uh, police military authority, and the, the guy said that um, they'd literally got one job that was two weeks from completion and only needed the tarmac on the access road. Mm. Um, and they wouldn't let them put that down. Gosh. So it was literally, a, 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 you know, we not did anything anymore. So I, I came back at that point. Mm. And then what did you come back to? So where did you go after that? Um, I came back to the John Brunton practice there, straight into the cab manager's role there. And um, um, I stayed there until the, the trouble hit. Um, at one point, I wasn't a, a director of a subsidiary company um, that so they set up just to look after uh, cab services, not just within the organisation, but um, to third parties as well. So what, you were cadding drawing for other people? Um, we were doing exactly that, yes. We were um, acting as a, an agency, okay. if you like. Um, that office was based in Salford Keys, and mm. I was based in Leeds. So my only real role was in the sort of director's meetings mm. and just to make sure that the, the whole business was running in accordance with the overall company's uh, policies and such like. But again, when the next recession hit, they just shut that down straight away. So if anyone's listening to this, so if, to people who are listening to this, I'm hearing recession, 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 and kind of you, you're making your career leaps sort of between recessions. You, you do. Um, and they, they come around um, with annoying regularity. Mm, mm. Um, and I, I would be very surprised if we didn't have another on the tail of COVID. I'm very surprised indeed. Mm. Um, but I'm not going to care about that anymore. I, I, should, <laughs> I should be uh, well out of it, I, I suspect. Mm. So are you, so you're ending your career as a BIM manager? Um, they call me BIM lead. Um, so I'm, I'm supposed to sort of guide the BIM use in the practice and to um, mentor the project teams on using BIM in their projects. Um, to some extent, that often means going in and firefighting their BIM issues for them, which um, I'm doing at the moment on a, a project there where the contractor's BIM requirements have just got a bit out of hand. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's getting even more difficult with design and build to actually define exactly who does what and who's responsible for what in a way that everyone um, agrees with. And these, these discussions and disagreements are, um, are often fraught with um, acrimony shall we say so we're we're diving in to try and respond to that without um, um regard for how much it's costing unfortunately mm. so i'm trying to trying to fix issues as i go <laughs> and we're getting there we're getting there um that, that's a project that's due for handover probably about two weeks before i retire right. <laughs> so, yeah we'll, we'll just sneak under the wire with it hopefully yeah yeah so um you're sort of going back to your art now aren't you with your hand drawing yeah um i, I kind of stopped doing hand drawing for 
fun when I started doing drawings in architecture because uh, certainly in the early days you only ever did hand drawing and there was a lot of freehand stuff. In fact, even today I still do freehand um, drawing work for issuing details and just to explain things in in three D and such like you know, because it's simpler and quicker than than CAD and BIM actually when you actually look at it. Mm -hmm. um, and I decided a while ago um, that when I retired, I was going to sort of pick, take up art again as a as a hobby. Um, and I was supposed to retire over a year ago. Um, so I started taking up the, the art over a year ago and I've been keeping it going um, since well, February before COVID. So all the way through COVID, I've been doing my daily sketch and, and, and other pieces of art and I've been doing commissions and it, it keeps me occupied and I enjoy it. And it's it's actually a nice antidote to the stresses of, um, of uh, architectural work. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, a good tool for de-stressing and, and relaxation. So yeah, it's great. So I'm going to share my screen. So if you're listening on, a, uh, on Spotify, um, then you can find John's work on Instagram under at JDWArtist. And so we're just having a scroll through some of these, uh, some of your latest works. There's a bit of a dry stone walling here going on. It is. It's a. Um, I do a lot of drawing in the Colne Valley, which is where I live in uh, in West Yorkshire. Um, mm. Not to be confused with the many other Colne Valleys that seem to dot this country. And um, yeah, the, the dry stone walls are a, a feature, and derelict buildings are a feature. So I. I it's the sort of rundown dry stone walling that draws my eye more often than not. And this is a door to nowhere. I've, uh, nowhere. I've absolutely no idea where what this building was um, <laughs> before. And there's a huge long water trough immediately to the right of it, which I'm going to draw as well. Yeah. I, 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 I'm trying to capture as many of the water troughs in the valley as I can, but I've, I'm, having investigated it, I've realised that I've probably still not have done them all by the time I die. There's okay. that many. Interesting. Yeah. Absolutely scattered everywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interpretation. It's not a literal um, um, uh, representation of it. The colours are sort of what takes your fancy at the time, which is um, the artist who, whose workshop I attended that um, set me off on this, this route um, basically says you just ignore the colours and pick what brings it to life ah. so um yeah i doing that and the spatter is a i think that's just a fad of um current um art trends you just you have to spatter your work now <laughs> is that a thing yeah so um so how do they start out are they ink or do you pencil sketch first um I used to spend pencil sketch, but I'm, I'm going straight in with the ink now, which mm. uh, is um, it's a little bit nerve wracking, but you don't have to be that precious about things being precise. Um, no one is ever going to know unless they're really that familiar with the, the thing that you're drawing. Mm. Um, but yeah, the light pencil lines are um, always a good idea just to get the, the main framework in, but um, I'm avoiding them these days, mm. just going straight in with the ink. So it's, it's ink and then wash. Mm -hmm. um, so when you say wash is that like watercolor or is it like more of an ink it's um it can be inks um uh, but it's all watercolor in my case i haven't ventured into inks it's expensive mm -hmm. enough um <laughs> buy, buying watercolors without buying inks as well yeah. um 
the uh, I, I've seen some very um, re very uh, beautiful work done in a similar fashion where they start with the uh, line working ink and then do the ink uh, color washes as well. Um, um, and if you think if you think my colors are outrageous, the um, this guy paints in bright blue and bright pink. <laughs> yeah, um, I think the last time we talked, you were going through a bit of a blue phase. Yes, yes. So yeah, the the one on the left, um, the, the middle of the screen at the moment, that's Buxton. That's that's um, one of my field um, studies for a competition entry I've just completed. Um, they, they have a the annual Buxton Spa Art Prize, which um, I'm delivering my entry this week. So mm. that's, that's been occupying my time for a, a little while. Oh, good luck with that. So yeah, well, I, I don't imagine I'll get I'll win, but uh, it's the experience would be interesting. There's another dry stone wall with steps in. Yeah, I, I, that is so weird. I have absolutely no idea what they were thinking when they put that together. I, I suspect it's a modern um, artifact. I don't believe it's a, an old um, configuration, mm. unless possibly it could have been for milk churns, but I don't know. The, the lump on the top of the wall at the left hand side is actually a carved rabbit so that, <laughs> again that's that'll be a modern thing and the one next to it we i just show a corner because um that was one that i didn't want to reveal before the um and in fact the one just above it which is the washing line that was a commission right um for a property that used to exist in tameside it's it's no longer there and the lady provided me with a couple of photos and said can i do this for a present for a mother who used to live there Oh, lovely, lovely. Yeah, yeah. Having a quick flick through, there's something a bit Star, Star Wars-y? Yeah, um, May the 4th is the um, ah. Star Wars day and someone had the idea, I'm going to do a May the 4th uh, competition on Instagram. So you used to do mm -hmm. over four days, there were four topics. Mm -hmm. um, so you did four sketches for it. The, the, no prize, just the, you know, just the number of likes you might get. I might, I've got a commission out of it, actually. Somebody wants me to draw the Millennium Falcon for them. Oh, um, so, yeah. Where these things will take you. Yeah. Oh, that's my, that's my studio there on the uh, on the left. Yeah, I think when we were talking, you were using uh, iPro, blah, 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 iPad Pro. Yeah, um, I've not done anything since then on the iPad. The the iPad Pro with um, Apple Pencil and uh, Procreate, which seems to be the the, the sort of the um, pinnacle of um, art applications for the iPad. Mm. Uh, it, it's very good. I've done a few drawings with it. Um, no, I haven't done any watercolors with it yet. And I use the term advisedly. That you can create the the effect of any kind of medium mm. with Procreate, and so you can create the effect of watercolour. Mm -hmm. um, any kind of brush stroke, any kind of bleeding and blending of colours. So it's it's actually taking it, uh, it's blurring the boundaries. So I'm going full circle from line to computer, back to uh, line and then back to computer again. It's... Uh, yes. It's and, uh, so where, where do you see yourself going in five years time with this? Um, I hope to have done something that people want to see. So I'd like to get some exhibitions up and, and done it under my belt and uh, hopefully a few more pieces that um, are displayable because most of what I do at the moment is just sketchbook stuff. Um, and while I've asked 
people have asked for the originals. I've, I always say, no, I'm not tearing my sketchbooks up for anyone. <laughs> um, they're, they're, I'm getting a, quite a pile um, accumulated now as well. So it's, uh, it, it's a reference for future works. And I've got lots of photographs because most of the stuff I'm doing now with lockdown is from photographs rather than from life. Mm. Um, I did get to the, um, there's an urban sketching movement and a lot of architects who are um, sketchers and artists uh, take part in this. Um, and um, there's a group in Yorkshire and there's a group in Manchester. And I, the Manchester group um, had their first session of the year about four weeks ago in Salford Keys. So I did get to that. So that was plein air um, sketching, as it's called. And um, that was enjoyable. Sorry? Plain air sketching. Yeah, it's 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 a, a bit of an artifact term. It's P L E I N, um, which is it's just the French form. It means um, from life, I think. Um, so you, it doesn't mean outside. It means that you'd actually have to be in front of the thing you're drawing. Ah, rather than a photograph type. Rather than a photograph, yeah, mm. yeah. So you you go into a museum or a coffee bar or, and draw. That's plein air. Um, or you can go outside and sketch the trams or or um, the bridges or the buildings or people or whatever it takes your fancy. Mm. Um, that's pretty good. So um, having said that, COVID has um, uh, started um, closing its grip again and Manchester is probably a bit of a no-go area. So I haven't gone to the second one, which was yesterday. Mm. Um, and I'll uh, see how, how that goes. But um, mm. yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, all opportunity to get out and see what other people do and, and, and learn from other people and, um, and hopefully enjoy a bit more sketching. Lovely. Well, thank you very much for coming on the uh, programme. Is there anything you want to ask me? Um, I'm just interested to see what kind of life you find architecture is turning out for you with your <laughs> <laughs> um, with your practices these days, because uh, I, I certainly in a practice like um, Fairhurst, where I am now, where we've got all of the, uh, a lot of our time is spent making sure that we're meeting these new regulations and and, and codes and practices. Is this the same for the smaller well, practices? I'm at the under end, other end of the scale, really. I'd probably say we're more like micro practice um, and we just do domestic uh, extensions. So I'm hand drawing. <laughs> yeah, I, I always think that domestic extensions, um, it, everyone thinks they're smaller, so they must take less work. But there's exactly the same kind of information to produce mm -hmm. for something that's smaller. Um, so it's actually more intense mm -hmm. and in a shorter frame of time, usually. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, but we kind of we start off by hand drawing sort of concept designs in front of clients which um, actually saves a lot of time in the long run because you, you nail down their actual requirements early doors. Um, sure. so, um, there's a lot less changes that, that we do than in a kind of traditional practice where that's computer com computer driven. Um, and then, yes, we go into CAD, but we're still just doing 2D CAD and not 3D CAD. Mm. Um, and, but we just offer a really simplified service and we actually stop at uh, building regs. So, right. Um, so yeah, what we found is we kind of stop our services at building regs, we coordinate with structural engineer 
um, and we kind of prepare information to give to the, cl the client to go out and tender it themselves. Yeah, sure. So we let the client handle the tender and the contract. Um, and, um, you know, we'll kind of touch base with the client when they've got a, a contractor on board just to ensure the lines of communication are open should there be um, sort of technical issues on site. Um, but um, yeah, that way we find that we, <laughs> to start off with, I was offering a full service mm. and I found myself in the middle between the, the client and the contractor. Yeah. The, con the conversations were being had between the client and the contractor and not informing me. So, you know, if I'd drawn something, I was redrawing it, redrawing it, redrawing it. Uh, and the same with specifications. And at the end of the day, you might draw, you might kind of design and spec what, specify one thing. But once they have a conversation with that contractor, it's always going to be a budget. Yeah, it's, it's the other way around as well, of course, the contractor wants to talk directly to the client so that he can save himself money mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. time. But that's still true for um, large projects as well. Mm. Oh, excuse <laughs> so, me. Yeah. yeah, so I, th I think we kind of do our, our tender processes kind of a, a light touch mm. and um, it works. It works extremely well for us. So. Yeah. Interesting, a lot of our work is actually from um, building reg stage. <laughs> uh, we, we find we do what, what's called the delivery architect role um, as often as we do the design architect role, mm. which um, is not um, always as smooth a transition as you might like. <laughs> well, it sounds like you are looking forward to your retirement. I am yes. I I, I think it um, I think it's long overdue, and I probably <laughs> made a mistake not retiring last year. <laughs> well, thank you very much, John, for coming on um, Architecture in the Den. Yeah, thank you for having me. So enjoyed it. Pleasure. It's a pleasure. And if you're listening on Spotify, you can watch this on YouTube, and vice versa. If you're watching on YouTube, you can download us as a podcast on Spotify or through your smart speakers or, or whatever. Um, please do give us a like um, and uh, please can you share as well. And if you're interested in coming on the show and would like to be a guest, please contact me on the social media channels, Lisa Rains, Lisa R-A-Y-N-E-S. So I'm just gonna say thank you and good night. And uh, thanks for coming on, John. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs>